Here we go. When you hear that tune, that little jingle, that means it's time for Doc Talk with Dr. Jenna Burton right here on Potaholics, coming to you through the Zoom fear. We've got Neve in the background. She's quiet for now. Uh, this- hey. <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing you can say. No, no, she, she's she she loves this show, and she just gets memorized, mesmerized. She does memorize everything we're saying too, but mesmerized by it. We're gonna talk dementia today, and you never know where else things will go because we're doing a real show, as Jenna said. <laughs> we've, we've had a number of shows, James, where we've we've met conversations that have got nothing to do with health well they, they they they're they're life conversations right we just we just kind of end up uh-huh. talking about things that are on our minds and i love those conversations as well that's kind of fun actually it was, i was i was just putting putting uh, a show together and uh it was it was a a a power work show with glenn and we were talking about your uh land rover pajero situation so i thought that was kind of fun What's what's the situation with my Pajero? <laughs> Where you love the, you like the Pajero for getting the three. Uh, you like the Pajero, but the the three seats fit better in the land the Land Rover. So you know what the Pajero was not a car that I wanted. I I didn't think it was pretty. Uh, just wasn't for me. And oh goodness me, what? Why did you say that before, James? <laughs> Um, it's a short bolt. Um, I absolutely love the Pajero. I, I love it. And if we could get three seats in the back, yeah. or if you could turn the the airbag off at the front and put one in the front seat, it'd be brilliant. I I love the drive. It's quite a hard drive. It's it's such a great car. Yeah. Well, there you go. I think you're the only person I've ever heard say that. But that being said, I'm I'm happy that you really love your Pajero, and that's 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 a great thing. You know, I, I moved to Australia after university for a year and my dream was always to have like just a little four by four. Yeah. And I had a little mini four by four. It was great. It was a, I mean, it was, it was great because I liked having it and the novelty, but it was a terrible car. I mean, it would come out of gear. It would, uh, the battery would go flat all the time. It was a really terrible, terrible car. And it ended up going for scraps when I, um, when I sold it or I, I didn't sell it, I, I basically got a few hundred uh, dollars for, for giving it away for the scrap. However, the Pajero actually reminds me of that, that same kind of drive and feel about it. And I really? think that's why I like it. Oh, cool. I mean, that's always good. You yeah. I think when I, what you've done, you've got me talking about things that aren't to do with health again. Well, it's all, it's the warm up. It's, it's the lead in <laughs> as we get going on things, because you know, it's important to warm up the vocal cords and get the mind going. <laughs> Maybe, maybe I'm sensitive to it, James, because I feel like I'm becoming a doctor of life. You said we have conversations of life. My page, nothing's about health anymore. It's all just about life. I I, I quite like it. I feel like maybe this is just my direction now. You know, I I think there's a fine, you know, uh, it's kind of like the magic dust between hardcore medical issues. You know, if I take this, it's going to have that effect and my blood pressure, my cholesterol and and what's going on in our minds and how that all starts to influence things. And I think those lines are pretty separate in a lot of cases when you walk in the door and people have the stethoscope or the white coat or the way the whole rooms are set up. And I, I think it's, it, there's a lot more ambiguity. And I think when we start 
putting all the pieces together. And, you know, the, in fact, we're, we're going to talk about dementia. That's where we're going. But before we get in there, I wanted, I wanted just to jump in on something that's really interesting. And we will get Cheryl Osama onto the show sooner than later because the number of people I've been talking to in the last week that have had panic attacks and, and we, I mentioned this to someone and I said, you know, are you, I, I just was talking to someone and they've had a, they're talking about panic attacks. And the, the person said, I, my daughter has panic attacks now all the time. She never had these. And now she, you know, and it's tightness of the chest. It's, it's like people feel like they're having a heart attack. They're, they're, they're truly scared. And then that escalates things. That's that whole doctor of life thing where, you know, well, funnily enough, a lot of my patients used to come to me about things that weren't really medicine, medicine, and a lot of them were just life issues and they just wanted to talk it through. And yeah. yes, they can have knock-on effects into giving you real physical symptoms, but sometimes they just wanted to talk or to get out of their everyday life to just check in with somebody. And so I had a lot of life patients, as it were. Yeah. And yet, I think at the moment, the situation, people aren't coping. We had this conversation 12 months ago, 12 months ago, and it's only been compounded by the fact that COVID is still going on. People thought once they had the vaccine, that was it, they'd have their freedom, they'd get reunited with their family and friends. They still aren't. And I know, gosh, even myself, as soon as... I think it was just before the 17th of May. Hang on, 17th of May is today. So today, everything in the UK was supposed to open up with regards to travel. And we all knew deep down it wasn't going to happen. But the minute they they pinpointed our region, the UAE, as being an area that was indefinitely going to stay on the red list, and that meant you can't go back home unless you have to do a hotel quarantine. Gosh, I I know it's affected me and lots of my friends. So even from personal experience, I can understand so, yeah, there's a lot of panic attacks and we get loads of panic attacks into Amy, by the way, lots of them. And sometimes there is a really fine line between is this a panic attack? Is it a heart attack? And it's not until you start doing appropriate testing that you can actually figure out whether which one it is. Yeah, no, it's deep breaths, <laughs> deep breaths. And, and as you, you said, and, 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 you know, with the timing that we're, we're doing this podcast today, you know, I, I found the amount of time that I, I now start investing in myself. And, and that's just doing a little bit of exercise or, you know, a little bit of a run, scale that back up, scale back that down, started swimming again, which is just fantastic. Got back in the water and did a kilometer and it was just, <gasps> why have I not been swimming recently? So I was really happy with that. And, and then just getting a little workout in. It's amazing how that changes your mindset. And, and I know people are going, come on. It's like, yeah, you know, I do a, a little circuits, a little bit of swimming, and I feel so much better just in that disposition when I'm looking at work and I'm thinking of things and I'm looking at the world around me. It's amazing. It's it's self care. We need to do. We need to be a little selfish and say, yeah, I need that half hour. I need that forty five minutes for myself to go and do X Y Z just to keep the brain focused. And that's so true. Exercise is definitely it's the best best medication for anxiety and depression for sure however i think sometimes people get a bit put off at getting into it especially if they are suffering with anxiety or depression and sometimes you've got to think right maybe i'm not up for that big run or i don't 
I can't face going to an exercise class with people around. So just think, what could I do today? And maybe a brisk walk might be day one. And then you think, oh, actually, I feel a bit better after that. And maybe day two, you can add something else in. Do it in your bedroom, do it in your jumper, do it in your baggy T-shirt, whatever you, whatever way helps you to get on the ladder of exercise will really help. Because once somebody is at the point where they're having a panic attack, it's actually much harder to talk them down and reverse yeah. it. These people generally feel like they're dying you know their, their throat might feel tight they don't feel like they can get their breath in and it's very hard to tell someone in that mindset you're absolutely fine there's nothing wrong with you just take deep breaths so it's almost like let's try and prevent it first and it doesn't go away right away either that's one of the things that i've noticed is when people are having panic attacks they have it and all of those physiological things they hang around for days and it's, it's really hard when someone wakes up in the morning and they're still feeling, you know, did they call this right? I, you know, what's going on with me? Why is this still here? Why am I not feeling my normal jovial, you know, plasticine self? So I I think this is. Sorry, James. Go ahead. I was going to say, it's, it's hard to think about it. If you get yourself to such an extreme point in, in your general physical health that you stop being able to function, so say you've had a really bad illness, there'll be an incline to feeling so bad and then there'll be a decline to back mm. to your normal health status. So if your mental health and your anxiety get so bad that you're inclined all the way to the point that you feel like you're dying and you, you can't cope anymore, the, the world is almost ending, this fear of impending doom then it's kind of, you have to go all the way back again. And I've spoken to quite a lot of patients and friends who were suffering quite badly with depression. And I think, as I say to them, you've got to just ride it out, except it's not going to get better the next day, two days, three days. It's it's the long term, but it will get better. Just just sit with it, accept it, acknowledge what it is, and accept that at some point, either medication or talking therapies, whatever it is, will kick in and you will start to feel better. But it takes time. And I said to you before, just before we started to record how impatient I am for various different things in my life. We're all impatient. And as patients, we're impatient as well. <laughs> exactly. Which you know what? What a what a nice way to start off. Just getting us thinking about ourselves. I want to jump right into our dementia conversation because this is this is one of those things that it's this is this is a great word. Dementia is a wonderful word in that as soon as someone says that word, we start attaching all of these mental labels to it. And again, just like and so the, the linkage here in my mind, follow me here, is when we talk panic attacks, people start attaching a whole bunch of thoughts to it and we start attaching thoughts to it. Not that dementia and panic attacks are at all like they're not, but where to me the linkage is that this this term carries with it so much baggage, dementia, that when it gets used, people have all sorts of ideas about it. They all, they always know somebody who's had some form of dementia. They've all, many people have an experience with it. And then people are starting to think about themselves and they start looking at, you know, as you start to get a little bit older. So maybe you're in your late forties, fifties, mid fifties, heading into your sixties, your memory might not be getting as good. You might notice you're stumbling on things, whatever. And, and people start thinking, Oh, what's going on? Am I, am I in early stages of dementia? And, and we often think, Think dementia, Alzheimer's. Now there are things that that work together there, but they're not the same thing. 
And I, I find these terms just start to get all jumbled around. And, and I think this is a great opportunity to sort of lay out the groundwork and some of the things that are going on with it. I think as well, if you watch on television, someone that's portrayed as having dementia, they usually show somebody that all of a sudden gets lost when they're out. They, they're leaving their harp on and they've gone off for a walk and it's, it's quite extreme behaviors and somebody yesterday was absolutely fine. So yeah, I think it's good to put down on the table. What, what exactly is dementia? What are the different types of dementia and and how does it present? Because people do, they panic and they get confused about it. And the first thing, as you mentioned, Alzheimer's, it's, they're not interlinked. You can't say Alzheimer's and dementia is is the same thing. I think I find people put them right together. They say, oh, you know, they've got, they've got dementia. They've got Alzheimer's. It's like, well, hold on a second. We're talking different things. I mean, similarities and there are, there's a connection, but one isn't necessarily the other. Well, dementia encompasses a number of different types of memory loss, of which Alzheimer's is the most common. So for people to put them together, it's not right, but I can sort of understand why, because 60, 70 percent of people with dementia will have Alzheimer's. And what is different is how the dementia occurs. So you've got dementia main heading, subheadings, Alzheimer's number one. And these are like little plaques that progress in the, in the brain. So stops it functioning as well as it should. And it's usually around the posterior aspects of the back uh-huh. of, the, of, of, of the brain. But then you also have um, like a vascular dementia, which has a very different presentation. And that's where you have little tiny micro strokes. And by strokes, basically the blood can't get to certain parts of the brain and that little part of the brain dies. And they're only very small, but they're scattered around and over time it gets worse. Uh, and that that's quite different. Whereas Alzheimer's tends to get worse over time. Gradually, the person's not always are fully aware of what's happening to them. Mm. People with vascular dementia are very aware of what's happening and they can get quite embarrassed about it. And there's big stepwise processes as these mini strokes come on. So they can be doing quite well. And then all of a sudden they have another mini stroke and, and their progression is, is quite great. With, with, like, uh, with vascular well, dementia, I got a quick question with vascular dementia. Is, is there an age sort of thing with vascular dementia as well, where as we're getting older, there's a better chance we could have that or, is anyone open for these little types of mini strokes that happen? And that is usually both all types of dementia usually occur more as you get older. Okay. So they're all they're all sort of um, more common as you get as, as you age. You can get early onset Alzheimer's, for instance, which is usually I think it's below the age of sixty five. Uh, however. As you get older, there's always going to be an increased risk of most diseases, to be honest, James. Yeah. Like generally, as we age, things just stop working as well and yeah. uh, everything slows down a little bit. And as I said to you, we were talking about cancer, weren't we, recently about how when we make new cells, things can go wrong as we get older and we're not not as alert at being able to identify things that aren't right in our body. It's the same for everything. Mm. So, yes, more common as you age. And there, there are lots of other types of dementia, the less common, like Lewy body dementia. I like that. What I found very interesting. I found the Louis body dementia very interesting as I was reading about this. I, I just, why? <laughs> I, well, I don't know. I, I think the one reason was I'd never heard the term and, and 
when we're talking about the different types of dementia. So that term had never really come up. And so it just grabbed my attention and, and I was you know, it's just kind of looking at this and going, it's, okay. It, it's, it's much less common and you get Lewy bodies in parts of the neurons in the brain, but the, the dementia that I love and, and take that lightly when I say I love the most fascinating type of dementia is Korsakoff's and that's a type of alcoholic dementia. Mm. And you get people that engage in confabulation. So they, they, for instance, say I've forgotten the word James. I'll just start calling you by a different different name and pretend and try and pretend I've not forgotten your name and I've just made something up. And they are fascinating. And sometimes they'll tell you entire like tales and stories that didn't ever exist about how they were the prime minister and in, in Zimbabwe and. and they can give you this story right down to the detail. And it's all just a story to, to compensate for the fact that they've forgotten the real story that they want to tell you. And I, I find that completely wow. fascinating. Very, it, to be honest, they all are. And the patients, if you meet them, can be exceptionally fascinating people. Yeah. So, so wh- how can we slow it down, Jenna? I mean, there, when we talk dementia, there's, there's these different plaques, as, you, as you've called them, different types. Are there any commonalities between them that people who are listening right now who might be thinking of themselves, inevitably thinking about their families, their parents, their aunts and uncles? See, I did that English style aunts. I called it an aunt instead of an aunt. I'd call it an aunt. My aunt. I wouldn't call my aunt an aunt, but yeah. well, because I am northern. England, you call it aunt I as well. Call it an aunt. Ah, there um, we go. Okay, so we're in, we're. In if good- I was if I was more well to do, James, I would call it an aunt. Uh. My auntie. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not well to do enough for that. Um, uh, the, the only commonality between trying to delay them is really basic stuff. I and mean, we talked about before. We talked about medicine of like life. Yeah. And it's just exercise, eating well being you know, aware of it. Some people talk about memory games, but that's more just to generally keep your mind alert. It's not going to stop the onset of Alzheimer's, Lewy body dementia, course costs, whatever it may be, not drinking too much alcohol, um, having a healthy, balanced diet, just very, very basic stuff, to be honest. And sadly, there is a genetic component to these things. So often, if your parents have had dementia, especially if it's early onset, there is a higher chance that you will, but it's not, it's not set in stone. doesn't mean it's definitely going to happen. Do people go and, and get genetically tested for this? Is that, is that something we see happening more and more or not really? No, not really. It's just one of those things that you just, maybe you would at some point decide to go and get regular memory tests, but that would you want to know? No. <laughs> the thing is, is especially with Alzheimer's, there are treatments that you can take and vascular dementia, which can in the early stages can help delay it from progressing, but it's not a cure and it won't hold it off forever either. And I, I often feel quite torn because when I talk about dementia with family and friends and we chat about it, I can't decide how bad it is. Is it that it's worse for the family or is it worse for the person that's going through it? Now, for someone like vascular dementia that's very aware of what's happening, that's quite traumatic. But for a lot of patients I've met with Alzheimer's disease, they are quite unaware of what's happening. And usually for most people, they're pleasantly confused. And I think what a lovely way to go into your old age is when you're starting to lose the ability to do things for yourself to be in quite a nice place. And I, I really, I really don't know what's best. I, I wouldn't want to know it was coming, but yeah. if one day I'm sat singing Les Miserables in a, a home somewhere, 
to myself quite happy. Is that is that the worst thing in the world? Or would you want to be a really elderly person that's watching them themselves deteriorate? And I, I haven't got the answer. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm kind of quite curious actually as to what you think. I, I wonder... On the patient side, the person who's experiencing this dementia and and maybe it's Alzheimer's, I I always wonder when is the point where it's it's early onset, it's coming, it's happening. Where's the point where you realize and you're cognizant of that happening to the point where you're no longer cognizant of it happening and it's just happening and I, I always wonder where that point is. And, and I just wonder for myself, right? I, I just wonder if this is something that happens to me. And I, I'm thinking of my own family, uh, mother's side, father's side. This is not something that, that I've, you know, when I think of my grandparents, none of them seem to have experienced any kind of, you know, my grandmother was pretty darn old when she passed away, you know, 98 uh, she was just slower, right? And and things. I, so I just wonder what that point is. Just and and I, I think I, I fall in with you that why do I wonder what the point is? Simply so that I can make sure that I've put everything in place by that point. So I've got some help or some assisted living or, 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 you know, I'm at home and I've got a, a nurse that's going to come or a, a caregiver that's going to come by just to check up. So I, I always wonder about that. Yeah. And I guess that probably is the stage where it's more traumatic. They're not aware of when they forget things necessarily. Yeah but they're being told that this is happening to them. And I, yeah, and I totally understand that's not a great phase to be in for anybody. And I guess that's the same with anyone that's got a chronic illness diagnosis. It's, yeah. it's you know, it's, it's really hard to accept. Well, the, it, part of, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Part of the reason I find this interesting is because I always, you'll, you'll meet people and they've got family that are in some stage of dementia or some form of dementia. And you'll talk to them and say, I'm never going to let that happen to me. Yet inevitably, those people who are saying, I'll never let that happen to me, it happens to them because they're talking, 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 and then it just happens over a period of time and there's nothing you can do. And it's, it's, it's just there. So I always find that, I just find that, I think that area of study, the transition period, when does it go? I, I'd love to read more about that. And as I say, it's it's less likely a day. It's just so gradual yeah. that people aren't even aware of it. But there was something that you mentioned before that I think is really important that we talk about. When some when you have a family member that has any form of dementia, whether it's you know doesn't matter what what the the root cause of it is, the initial instinct of a lot of families is to say. Well, I'm never going to let them go to a home. I'm right. never, I'm going to make sure they stay at home. I've known families have split up about it. Really? No longer talk to each other because of the anger towards one family member that feels it's more appropriate to put them in a home. All I can tell you is I've worked with lots of people that have dementia, especially, especially when I was a medical student, actually, I spent a long time on old age psychiatry. And the takeaway message for me, for me that I came away with was, God forbid, if that happened to a member of my family, I would want them to go into a facility. Mm. And the reasons are the routine. It's, you know, um, people that have got dementia of any form do very well with a routine. So when they move from their own home into whether it's a nursing home, a residential home, a psychiatric, you know, whatever it is, they've got a very set routine. So they initially may decline slightly because they're going from one environment to another. But then they have on the clock, they get their meals, uh, they get they're going into the same bed, nothing really changes. It's usually around the same people that they're seeing every day. 
And that's really, really good for somebody that's suffering with dementia. It really helps them to keep going for a little bit longer. Um, Secondly, the safety. It's very hard to keep somebody that is gradually losing, you know, their memory and their, their ability to function normally to keep them in a safe environment. They're not mm. going to have to worry about electricity, leaving on gas hubs, whatever it may be. It's it's much safer. There's locks on the door. You know, these people can be really adamant that they're going out to go and see maybe a mother that's passed away, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. And they're adamant in their mind that that's what they're off to do now. And the other thing is these people over time can can get quite aggressive. So for the safety of the people around them that are the watching them, especially as things really start to deteriorate. And it's because they can't understand why you're saying no and why you're telling them something's not necessarily true. Mm. So for me, I think, especially if you look at the longer picture, it's better. And there will be a point if they, if they live long enough that if it progresses, to to uh, the extent that they start to lose their abilities for toilet functioning, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that it's better to have all those people there that can help and on hand. Yeah. Um, so as long as you get the right place, I, I, I personally don't see any harm with it. And I know a lot will disagree, but that was my take home message is God forbid if that happens to my family, that's all me. That's what I would want. Yeah. It's, it's, it, as you said, it's very polarizing and families break up about this and there's a lot of guilt, I guess, as well when people think about their family members and, and sending them to a care home versus, you know, getting a suite in your own home or converting a part of it and maybe getting home care, there's still going to be an overlap period where you've got to deal with that. And, and, and I sometimes wonder if, if a hard part is, is just our own, our own memories and perceptions of those family members. And we were, you know, if it's your parents, you remember them when they were, you know, when you were young, when you were a teenager, you remember your parents and now you're much older and your parents have, are in this matured state and possibly they are, they're in some form of dementia. And it's kind of like, that's not the person I remember. And it's, it's, it's a real tough one. And, and as you said, there's no easy answers. There's lots of reasons to think maybe I'm going to need more help here. And maybe that help's just not going to be possible at home, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah, and I think a lot of people see it as a badge of honour, is of guilt, of I've, I've got to do this, I must do it, my mm. parents have been so good to me, I want to do it for them. And and the reality is, is sometimes you doing it isn't always the best thing, especially as things progress. I mean, how do you cope when they're trying to get out the front door, they're getting aggressive? You know, it's, it's very, very, very difficult and it's a fragile situation. And that's why when you're looking after somebody that has dementia, you have a whole team of people. So you have the doctors, you have the family members, you have like social workers, caregivers, you have a whole team of people that manage their care. And it's because there's so many different elements to it. One of the big things is, is what do you do with their money? Like who's going to manage their money? Sure. And, and sometimes these people, especially in the early stages can want to go out and spend all their money or they can believe that family members have stolen the money from them yeah. and it, it, it can be very very dif- difficult and it also depends on what how they go I said a lot of people are pleasantly confused and I think that's a nice form of dementia and that that has a nice but you know it, it, it's more calming for family members yeah. to see but for some people they're terrorized and they have like quite a terrorizing dementia where they're effectively in a bad nightmare every day and that is absolutely horrendous to watch I, I've shared this story with you before but I'm going to share it again because it it just highlights how different people deal with family members who are in various stages of dementia and and a good friend of ours had a, a parent in in the UK 
who was living alone, but, and, and the house had been outfitted, as you said, with the hobs on the stove so that they had to always press it so that it would stay on. And if they didn't press it, it would turn off and things like they'd really done the job. This person lived alone. And when the family would go and visit, there were, and there was lots of family around that would go and visit because they were still pretty good at taking care of themselves, but you family still wants to go visit. And, and the family, seem to have there were they were at odds with how to deal with this and and some of the members of the family just found it so sad and difficult to deal with and others just sort of said this is this is how it is and the example is the 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 person in question just couldn't remember what people said to them so you know you would come in oh you're oh jenna how are you and then five minutes later you know uh, so jenna what are you doing for a job and then you'd say oh you know i'm, I'm a doctor and i'm doing this and then five minutes later so so what are you doing for a job these days and so or, you know the memory was that 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 fluid and and part of the family would just, they just couldn't deal with it. They would get angry. Well, I, I just told you five minutes ago, how can you forget? And the other side of the family would just give new jobs every five minutes. You know, what are you doing now? Oh, I'm an astronaut. <gasps> That's so incredible. And, and the person, and then, you know, 10 minutes later, what do you do? I'm a brain surgeon. <gasps> what an incredible job. You know, and it was, it, this is, you know, it was just, and, and then the other family would get mad at them. Why are you doing that? Why are you telling me? It's, it, why not? Right. And, this, and it's how people are dealing with these things. And it, it's, and I, I find it just so incredible that that dynamic that starts to exist between family members as you're going yeah. through this, this change, which seems to hit, I, I don't, again, I don't know the stats, but as you said, the, there, there's a, a pretty good significant number of people in our population who have family members or themselves will experience dementia. It's pretty high. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's surprisingly common. And again, I don't have the statistic to hand either, but you know, I, Again, you touched on something. There would be people that would come up to me on the ward and say, are you the 46 bus? And sometimes you'd think, is it kind of to say, oh, there's no bus coming today. I'm so sorry. Or is it is it kind of to say, oh, I'm not, but it's just coming along now. And I think sometimes people feel like that's been quite disrespectful to do the latter. Yeah. But I don't know. I think as long as you are, you know, you're being respectful, as long as they're happy and you keep them happy, is there the need to correct them every two seconds that they're, that they're wrong? And as you mentioned, it's usually the short term memory that is affected. So these people will be able to recite everything that happened to them as a child, find details about their parents, et cetera. But when it comes to something that you've just told them, and there is something called, uh, I mean, there are lots of different memory tests, but what we tend to use, for instance, in an accident and emergency is a mini mental state exam. It's usually all present day things. And you give them like three things to remember. You know, I'm going to say to you now, James, table, apple, penny. I want you to remember it. We'll talk about something else. And like five minutes later, I'll, I'll ask you those three words again and see if they can still remember table, apple, penny. You know, can they, can they tell us what um, the season is, what year we're in, you know, very basic yeah. present day things, because that's the memory that's usually affected more. Mm. What, one of the things I often hear people talking about is herbal remedies or, you know, vitamins. If I take these vitamins, it's going to help me with dementia down the road, or it's going to help me, you know, help my brain regenerate or just, I, do you buy into any of that? I don't know. I've always been a believer of a multivitamin and a cod liver oil tablet. Or really? Something you take cod liver oil? I, I don't because I'm vegetarian, but I always tell my patients to. It's fish. You know, there's been, it's fish though, and it's, it's oil. Fish. Yes, and I didn't. 
the first time someone told me to take it, I hadn't thought cod liver oil, didn't think about it. And then I, I took one and I was regurgitating like fish all day. Well, yeah, but- and I, I've not eaten fish since I was 12. <laughs> okay. I, I was like, this is awful. So there was another tablet you can take with like seaweed. I can't remember the elements, but you can actually look. There's two particular important elements that are in cod liver oil. It's something like, it's not BPA, but it's something along those lines. And you can also get them in seaweed tablets as well, but they're very hard to come by. They're very expensive. And I, I, I have no problem with somebody taking that. It's also great if somebody's had a heart attack, you put them on a cod liver oil tablet. It's shown to be very effective in, really? in stopping the progression of, of a further heart attack uh, in line with their medications. It's, it's a really good adjunct to use. So no harm in that. Whether it stops dementia, I don't know. As I say to you, it's, it's healthy living, isn't it? Generally, healthy living is a real great thing for a whole myriad things. But whether it really stops it, I'm not sure. It can maybe hold it off or, I don't know, James, it's a hard one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I think I'm, it's an exact science. I think this is this is a, a real challenge. And this is one area I don't want to get a job in, quite frankly, just so you know. It's like, I, you know, working in this this area of dealing with dementia, as, as interesting yeah. as it is, yeah, not one that I'm jumping at. You know, it's like, no. You know what? I, I loved old age psychiatry. And if I could not do all the other psychiatry training. And the reason being is I find some psychiatry quite traumatizing. Mm. For instance, people that have got psychosis, et cetera, it can be quite scary, especially when these patients are often very threatening. And that really put me off wanting to go down the full psychiatry training. But old age psychiatry, I found really nice. I really liked it. I think, as I say, the majority of these people are quite sweet and yeah. pleasantly confused. And it's it's almost quite nice to sort of live within their fantasy and to talk to someone that is completely making something up and telling you a whole complete fable. It, it, it's quite interesting to see. And I'm not saying I'd want it to happen to my family necessarily unless they were very pleasantly confused. And the same for me. I, I, there's no right answer. I've just said it's not an exact science. It's not, but I do like old age psychiatry. I think a lot of it is is, is very nice. It's, it's a nice specialty. Nothing in medicine is nice because ultimately if you're seeing somebody, it's because it's yeah. a time usually of distress but it's one of the nicer specialties providing the family are quite accepting and understanding and that the person is, is, is pleasantly confused and not traumatized by the experience. And that's always, that's the wild card, isn't it? How is the family and, and all those different personalities going to be able to deal with this ongoing situation? Actually, you know what? I was just thinking about people I know who, who might even be self-diagnosing with early onset of dementia symptoms. And I, I've known a few people who've, you know, up in their seventies and eighties who clearly have recognized that they're not remembering some things and they're, they've become excellent list makers and reminder makers. And I've seen this in a couple of occasions and I, you know, you're walking by something, oh, that's quite a good reminder list there. And it's like, oh, there's another one over there. And it's like, oh yeah, that's a different list for a different thing in a different place. So when the person is at that place, they remember, oh yeah. And they say, oh yeah, I got to remember to do that. Oh yeah, I got it. And I thought, that's that that is really well organized but i also then started putting it together it's like oh yeah when we're having conversations every once in a while things do seem to slip the lists clearly help to jog the memory and i thought what a good plan this person is at a stage in their life where they're you know that middle part that i was talking about where you know something's going on to where you're no longer able to to understand that something's happened and that middle ground they've they've found a way to keep themselves dialed in and i thought okay that's cool 
and scary. Yeah, and that's, that's quite, I mean, quite different from dementia. It was something that we'd sort of touched that we might talk on today is what's the difference between a dementia and, and you know, a lot of people do tend to lose the memory a little bit yeah. as they get older. Which doesn't but, mean you have dementia, right? No, it doesn't because dementia is more of a pathological process. As you get older, your brain naturally shrinks. It's called cerebral atrophy. And you can also have, again, like little mini infarcts. An infarct is an area where part of the brain has died. It's not had enough oxygen. That does happen, but that's, again, not quite as pronounced as vascular dementia. Hmm. Um, and, you know, and we didn't even talk about frontal lobal dementia, which is where you get quite significant personality changes and people can become very aggressive. You know, like th- these are very set pathological processes, just general memory loss just happens with general aging of the brain. You know, it'll happen to all of us. I mean, I, gosh, I like to think I'm not too old, but I've even turned into my granddad and I'm like, Lincoln, Lincoln, Jack and Eve, <laughs> Florence, Jack, you know, like my granddad couldn't say your name without running through Melanie, Susie, Betty running through all like the, the grandchildren, his daughter's yeah. names at the same time. And it's like, you, you find that happening quite quickly. I, 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 you know, I, I'll find, I'll be talking to some, every once in a while, I'll be talking to someone or something and, you know, I, I, I'll just get what what were we talking about again? Or what what was what's their name? Well, we just told you their name. Yeah, but I. It's it's terrible. Do you ever get that thing, James, where you know you've known someone for a while and you're in front of them and you suddenly think I've totally forgotten your name, oh, and it's like oh my goodness, and then someone's turning up and you think I'm going to have to introduce them, but I've known them for about five years and I totally have just forgotten their name. Yeah, all the time. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. When I, you know, good old radio days, I used to always have sticky notes on, on the thing and I would write everyone's name in the order because they would introduce themselves, you know, Hi, I'm, I'm John, I'm Jack. And then they'd all be sitting there. I go, I don't remember anyone's name. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but they just told me their names. You feel so bad having to ask them. So I would always sticky note it up, but you know, yeah, that's just memory loss. And this is, this becomes an interesting thing because as soon as people have memory loss, people start to say, Oh, maybe you got dementia coming on. It's like, no, maybe I've just got memory loss. <laughs> I think the, the stigma of dementia is is normally a quite an obvious short term memory loss, mm. and not, and people not even realising that they've forgotten, and people getting lost in a familiar place. That's quite a common one. And the other one is spatial awareness. So, say they're drawing or they're writing, you'll find that their spaces are all peculiar. So, for instance, if you ask them to draw a clock. Oh. They would have big gaps maybe between the one and the two, but then the two and the three would be all scrunched up together. And and to be honest, I've got no spatial awareness anyway, but I haven't had it all my life. So it, it's quite, a, it's something that has changed and it's different. And these people do need to go and see the doctor, have a full thorough memory examination and usually have to have a CT or MRI scan of the brain in order to check that it's not something else that's happening. You know, because she also thinks these things could be from a tumour. You know, you've got, you've got to look into everything really. Those, that, those tumors. I mean, I, I don't, it's, it's amazing. Just those, those, those tumors, those darn ones. tumors, you know, they, they, they just throw a wrench into everything. We think something's going on and then you do a scan and oh, you got a tumor. It's like, I don't want it. I don't want to do a scan. I'm, I'm paranoid. I'm they're going to do a scan and find something, you know, just to, I, I don't think, James, I don't think anybody <laughs> wants a tumor just no. to clarify. I know no and one wants one. The Alzheimer's, like as I say, take what I'm saying with a pinch of salt. It can be a pleasant. It's obviously not. Nobody yeah. really wants it. But I do think at the very, very old age, to be a little bit confused is not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, especially if you're the alternative, literally watching yourself not be able to function. You know, I think the reason I give these examples because I have an elderly grandma, and I've told you she is, you know, watching herself 
you know decline and slow down and i don't think it's very pleasant for her either but a tumor nobody wants one of those nobody ever wants one of those no no good things come from a tumor james that's it exactly we we, we, you know we need to do a whole talk on tumors (laughs) do okay well we spoke about oncology but i guess we've never uh, spoke about brain tumors and the thing with brain tumors is they can often affect the young as well Ah. it's not something that is isolated to the elderly yeah well i think we got to talk about that we got to talk about what all these. That'll be, diff- that'll be a fun and games. That'll be a really, really positive. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'll that'll get everyone really happy. It's like, oh yeah. That's like when you know the word tumor and the word cancer. Either of those come up. Even worse, you've got a cancerous tumor. Oh, that's it. People, you know, that then you you break out in a cold sweat. Give me the, give me how many, how long do I have? You know, what, what's what we can have a, maybe a focus on is the more successful treatments and success rates, because obviously people, it's not a death sentence anymore. Yeah. You know, for a lot of people, there are treatments and ways. I mean, some of the brain surgery is absolutely insane where you can take off a part of the skull, get in there, take out the tumor and just, you know, a few weeks, pop it back on again. You know, it's, yeah. um, it, yeah. it is remarkable what goes on in, in the neurosurgery. So, yeah, we can maybe look at the more positive side of these things. <laughs> oh, man. This has been a lot of fun, Janet. We talked about some good stuff today. Yeah, we did. We, we, were, we were more medical. Like We That's, actually talked about health, which I is great. It's like... It's almost like we need to do a, uh, we also need to do a show. Maybe that's the next one we do is the terminology from all the doctor shows. You know, you're watching all these medical shows and there's all sorts of terminology and ideas that they're talking about. Let's talk about the, what you see on TV and what's, what's real. So I, um, when you start medicine, you get, you have to buy your Oxford Dictionary of Medicine or medical terminology. And mine in the first year, it was completely battered. It was battered because every, you're reading a sentence and you have to look every every single thing up. And then now it's really easy because you, you don't realize you learn so much Latin. Mm. And, and you, nobody tells you, you want to learn to be a doctor or a nurse, whatever, that you're going to learn the, the Latin language. Yeah. And, and I know so much out because then you'll, you'll hear something and you can figure out what it is based on, you know, heme, blood, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, like that'd be quite cool. Let's, yeah. let's do that. James. Yeah, let's do that one. Okay. We're going to do that one next. Cause I end up, I seem to end up watching all these medical shows and it's just like stuff going on and it's just like, really, really? I, I, you see, you can't watch them. Yeah. You see, whereas, whereas, you know, stuff like anything that's got to do with teaching and professors and stuff, I don't watch those cause I just kind of go, no, I live that world. It's like, uh, yes. you know, big- also, it's not quite, sorry, James, as I'm talking to you, I'm having to send something at the same time. I can let you go. Terrible. Yeah, no. I, I'm with you though. I'm with you. I, that's okay. Um, so it's just like teaching my students. Life, life goes on whilst we podcast. <laughs> I, I get frustrated about how unrealistic a lot of it is. Yeah. And if it is realistic, it's usually representative of the NHS in the UK. And I get like heartstrings cause I miss it. So yeah. either way, can't yeah. watch it. And probably a bit similar for you with professoring. Yeah. It just, you know, I, I think it's sometimes even just watching shows like that and having, you know, you go to a doctor every now and then, or if you've ever been to a hospital and you just, you know, you get just getting a blood test, you see how it's done. And then you, you're watching how they're doing it on some of these shows and sure they have people doing, I mean, I was watching something yesterday and they were, they were doing a blood test for a DNA sequencing, I guess. And 
so they, they, you know, they obviously had all the stuff on the arm and they were, you know, they were, there seemed to me there was overkill. There was a, there was a lot, there was way too much going on in that arm, but they have music in the background. Yeah. It's like dramatic music. But yeah. The, what I kept watching, I mean, I missed the dialogue cause I was just going, I just got to see if the, how they're doing this because they, you know, they pulled off obviously one of the vials that had filled for, with blood and, you know, they shook it a little bit and they put it down and said, okay, that seems right. And then they had another one and I was just watching to see, are they going to put it in there and is it going to start to fill or how? they got this going and they just they just cut out at that point because i'm going yeah i want to see how they're doing this piece because it's you know i don't know crazy i can show you any day you want james i love taking blood (laughs) oh i'm sure i I went and Uh, i went and had my blood test done because you know for visas in the uae we got our blood test of course and this person did i didn't even realize it was done so okay it's over he's like what do you mean it's like when when, when did you do it (laughs) you got good veins yeah yeah you know, Madonna gets a bad rep for her veiny arms. I tell you what, I've got no problem with having veiny arms. People can laugh at me as much as they like. If there was an emergency, that's it. I would be get, I'd be the one that's getting the cannula straight away and the medication that I need. So let's let's give Madonna up, like less of a hard time. She's those veins are going to save her life one day. Oh man, Jenna, you know what? This has just been fun, but. As much as this has been fun, I know that you've got things to do. Neve has been spectacular, but that means she's going to wake up any minute now. And she does immediately. Look, here we go. Oh, there we go. There we go. <laughs> to be honest, James, the, the, this will come to an end at some point. We've had a really good run of Neve being asleep during the podcast. Let's see how long we can go. Yeah, for sure. There we go. I'm going to let you go, though. But you've been listening to Talk Talk with Dr. Jenna Burton. Find us across the socials, Potaholics with a K. And of course, you want to get in touch, Potaholics with a K at gmail.com. Dr. Jenna Burton, James Pikeway, we're going to do it all again real soon. This has been Doc Talk coming to you in the Zoom sphere. Thank you.